0: All right, welcome back to the More Than Different Podcast. First off, C Mac is back in the building. He was across the pond. He's across the pond in Greece for what 10 days, call? Yeah.
1: So yeah visiting visiting the, the ruins. Seeing the Parthenon, etc. Yeah. So nice so to good be to, back, though.
0: Yeah, good to have you back. And secondly, we have another terrific guest, three weeks in a row someone who epitomizes what it means to be more than different with his relentless pursuit to not only elevate himself in all facets of his life but someone who elevates those around him in the community he is a part of i was lucky enough to be around him for 3 years at the noble and greeno school our guest alex gallagher is the girls basketball coach at the noble and greeno school as well as the athletic director and Also teaches an entrepreneurship and innovation class as well as a politics and ethics class. And let me just rattle off some accolades. Colin, you might think these are a typo, but I I assure you they're not. So he's been at Nobles, (laughs) been coaching at Nobles for 23 years, 18 ISL titles, okay? 18, 10 New England championships five years prior to coming to nobles you were at weston high school i saw three league titles 1998 boston globe coach of the year and a state champion uh if that's not a winner i don't know what is and certainly as i mentioned so multifaceted someone who i have so much respect for and i'm so appreciative of coach how you doing
2: i'm good brendan and colin thanks so much for for having me i'm As Brendan knows, I have a lot of respect for what you guys have built uh, and the story behind it and the mission behind it, and so it's an honor to be on here, and as Brendan knows, (laughs) I feel very uncomfortable with any of those accolades because uh, I say all the time there are a lot of great coaches who have not gotten to coach the kids I've been blessed to coach in my life, so um, we'll talk about that a little bit, certainly, as we talk about my journey and the different experiences I've had, but... uh, nice of you to say those things but all it does for me is make me think about the kids who have <laughs> the kids who have won those championships um i've been lucky to be a part of it
0: yeah absolutely but it is there's a whole lot of coaches out there too and they don't do that so it goes both ways but it's funny our sister played at BBN, and so my first interpretation of you is you BBN always had some good teams sister was a really good player and their teams are good but every year they just end up getting smoked by nobles and i used to hate watching her lose or call lose so naturally i just i couldn't stand nobles i couldn't stand you even though i didn't even know you at the time um and surely enough i end up going to nobles and there's uh you know i get to know you and, and you're an incredible person so full circle there but i know you've mentioned to me let's take it back to your upbringing i know you've talked about how you had you know two parents who kind of had divergent views beliefs and what what kind of impact did that have on you growing up and and finding your way mm-hmm.
2: so uh you know I, I i like any opportunity like this because you know like everybody else in my life i faced challenges but man if i've been blessed uh in a whole bunch of different ways growing up i was uh I was the I'm the oldest of six kids, uh, six kids in nine years. Um, you know, by the time I was seven years old, I was changing diapers and feeding babies and uh, doing all that stuff because it was the only way we could all sort of keep our heads above water. And um, I had uh, I had two amazing parents. My uh, my mom, who passed away a long time ago now, was a crazy, larger than life personality this uh she was this jewish woman who was outrageous and uh you know had a had a, like spoke like a truck driver and swore all the time and, <laughs> um, and stuff like that and was just a wild uh, person who really taught me so many things and then i've got uh, my dad who's still alive um, my dad a great person great human being very uh sort of conservative roman catholic and so uh our their relationship was an amazing relationship they were very different people but tremendous friends best of friends uh their ultimate supporter um, of one another in terms of building each other up and um and as Brendan knows because I talk about it in the politics and ethics class I mean our house amongst the kids was sort of a war zone um and was really intense and we battled with each other all the time and fought, fought like cats and dogs competed with on everything that we did uh but when we left that house and went out into the community my father had this tradition of every day sort of saying to us uh never forget nobody messes with a gallagher and you know we weren't (laughs) like in tough town usa but no when we went out it was it really was true that the six of us uh we were raised to have each other's back um and my parents always had each other's back and had our back and i think that that mentality uh was really special and You know, my mom was as the matriarch of the family was the one who really kept us connected and kept us close. And when she passed away, I've really tried hard as my other siblings have. I mean, we I think Brendan knows this. We have family dinner, um, you know, most Sunday nights of the year. Normally at my house now, that's six kids plus a bunch of unofficial family members who we definitely consider family plus anywhere from like 17 to 25 nieces and nephews, um, you know that we have that we have at our house all the time and and that's my parents always made it clear they were not from big families and that's why they just had to have to have a big family um because they wanted to create this sort of ripple effect generation to generation of of more and more love and more and more people and and i'll say you know the biggest thing in terms of its influence on me i i love the different ideologies i love the debate on a day-to-day night-to-night basis but the biggest gift I was ever given is that both my mother and my father, my mother was really outspoken about it, but uh, you know, I'd say my mom and my dad, both uh, success, success never made them love you more and failure never made them love you less. Um, It was always about the effort. It was always about how we represented the family, how we represented ourselves. And before every game I ever played or coached, and this is in an area an era way before cell phones my mother would either find me face to face i'll never forget i was coaching a tournament game at weston um she had battled sickness a lot sort of after i went to nobles in high school and there was a game a tournament game she couldn't get to we were playing up in redding we had a huge uh north sectional semifinal game the year that we ended up winning the um we ended up winning the state championship and this random state trooper comes up to me as the game's about to start and he's like uh you know i'm sorry to do this but you have a phone call on the payphone out in the lobby and i was like what <laughs> so you guys probably don't even know what a payphone is that's unbelievable <laughs> but so i i go running out i'm convinced like something terrible's happened and you know, i pick up the phone and it's my mother and um you know she said my nickname growing up which i'll acknowledge on this podcast with a good following Uh, My entire life up until this day and my family has been Slicky. Don't ask me why, (laughs) but but it's been my nickname. And I picked up the phone and it was my mom. And she said, Slicky, it's your mom. Just want to remind you, win or lose, your mother loves you. And she said the same thing to me, the same thing to every one of my siblings before Uh, every game we competed in, anything we coached in. And so, you know, there are lots of things that to this day motivate me as a coach, but, you know, in the cliche way of sort of knowing your why, um, my why is definitely trying to carry on that tradition. And with the kids I coach, people I teach, um, kids I'm connected to, people I'm connected to, I, I want to have that same that same feeling. We say a lot, our team tends to play really well in championship games. And we think it has a lot to do with the fact that we make a commitment to each other that winning the championship is not going to affect the way that we love each other or support each other and and given that fact when we reach those big moments we tend to play pretty relaxed basketball yeah
0: it goes because a long we,
2: know way. At, we know at the end of the day win or lose we're still a family we're still going to have each other's back we're still going to love each other and and so that for me that gift that my mom and my dad gave me is something that I've really worked hard with my own children uh, and with the kids I've been blessed to coach really something that I try and pass on to others
0: wow yeah lots of to- to unpack out of that, I guess, to go off just what you just mentioned. So to you, what does – how do you define success uh, as a coach when, when you're going to these teams? Because obviously you've had a lot of it in the win column, uh, and, and that is kind of the traditional way we think of successful season. Did you win the league? Did you make a run, et cetera? But there's so much more that goes into it, and I think like you alluded to, that part of just – knowing that you're not it's not Oh, there's not all this pressure on you like you're you're playing for your team you're committed to each other it's bigger than yourself that liberates you so much as a player as a competitor when you're a part of something bigger what is the measurement of success for your teams
2: yeah so what i'll um i'll say this and both of you guys are really successful and good athletes so i think that you'll you'll have some sense of what I'm talking about, you know, on the NEPSAC side, we, we've been really lucky. We've, we've played, we've played, the way NEPSAC works, you guys know, I think is that in that last week you go into the tournament, um, there are eight teams left in the tournament. You play Wednesday. If you win Wednesday, you play semis on fine on Saturday and finals on Sunday. Yeah. And, and we've been really lucky for 14 straight years. We've played into that weekend. Um, And the reason that I I put, but the reason that I point that out is we have this moment on Friday night, like we, I've asked, I've been asked a lot, how do you sustain winning? How do you make sure to stay at that level over time? And, and my honest response is by not talking a lot about winning championships, because we don't, Um, you know, what we do talk about from day one is the same goal every season in Nobles basketball, which is. The ultimate goal is a locker room full of crying kids, not because you won or lost the last game, but because you don't get to go to practice together the next day. And so when we get to Friday night and it's our last practice of the season, and we know that we're going into a weekend where semis on Saturday, finals on Sunday, season's over Sunday night. When we get into that huddle on Friday night when practice ends, there is this moment that happens every year where we get into a big circle and we look around each other and we know this is it. Um, and I think kids in our program would tend to tell you that's a moment that is full of emotion, a lot of tears, um, you know, this realization that this journey is coming to an end. And so we hit Saturday and Sunday, uh, we've already won. You know I mean? That, that really is, I'm not being cliche when I say that, like we have mission accomplished and Saturday and Sunday become icing on the cake you know, and, mm-hmm. and for us, I, I think our kids and our coaches really, really buy into that. Even the last couple of years, you know, out of the course of the last 11 or so that we have, that we haven't won in the, in those years, we haven't won. I've been as proud of those teams as, as the nine or 10 that have won. Um, and, and I think for us, that's really, that has been a differentiator that those relationships that we build, that bond that we build over the course of time, um, that love that exists within our team, we think is pretty special. And, and so when we get to that moment on Friday night and that emotions there, um, I go home on that weekend and I'm, I get stressed. I want to win as badly as anybody does. So do our kids, but my wife will tell you, I get home and I'll have a big smile on my face. And she's like, you feeling good about tomorrow? And I'm like, I mean, not that I don't care about what happens on Saturday or Sunday, but to me, the goal that we set has been accomplished. Um, And, and that's, you know, that's through a lot of hard work on the court, a lot of time together, um, but it's also a lot of purposeful team building, a lot of purposeful culture building, a lot of great leadership and role modeling by the older kids in our program. But, you know, the thing, and and you guys both know this because you've had great teachers and great coaches over the course of your life is the best teaching involves backwards planning. And so, I and our staff, we know that Friday night, we know what we want it to feel like and we plan everything backwards from there. Um and so I think we've we've been able to find something that works and there are some moments during the season happens every year where I can tell my team is I'll, I'll give you a good example. We we had a really special team this year with a lot of talent. We went up after a week that we had had a bunch of sick kids. Um And we went up for this weekend that we do in New Hampshire every year. We play Tilton, who's great, on a Friday night, and then we play New Hampton on a Saturday afternoon. We went up. We could barely keep our heads up because we are endless drive and kids were sick, and we end up losing at the buzzer to Tilton. Kids are pretty crushed. We come back the next day. Uh, We play a great New Hampton team. Uh, We build a big lead. We run out of gas. We end up losing by like four or five, but we fought our butts off right up until the end of the game. And we got into the team room afterwards and i said to them i go you've got to listen to me i just saw that we can win a championship in this loss and and one of the things that comes i think with getting old and having done it for a lot of seasons is i can look them in the eye and say i'm not lying to you like i i just and i just saw that we can win a championship with this team right and And there was a moment when we won the championship this year where I said to them, I told you on that day in late January that this is where we were going to be. And I was super appreciative that they listened to me, that they heard why I thought we could be that team and that they went and did it. You know I mean? That's, that's the hard part. I can say everything I want. They've got to go out and do the job and, and they went out and did the job.
0: I love that part about, the backwards planning and how you know what the destination is I think a journey implies a destination but if, if you're just on a journey without not knowing where you're going or not knowing where you want to arrive at you know you'll be misled and you don't know which direction it'll take you and i think that is for a team and as a coach and for a program to know what you envision the destination being and then how you take those steps day to day, the habits you implement and and the, just the team culture, how that'll contribute to reaching that point that that goes such a long way. And and well beyond just obviously a team, but knowing where you're going.
2: I'll tell, I'll tell you guys one, one quick story um, that I think is really that touches Brent on what you're talking about there. And, And it's the, um, there's a great, a famous, and I think, Brendan, we might have watched some of it in class, but there's a famous uh, Bill Gates speech where our, uh, Steve Jobs speech. Sorry. Connecting the where, dots, right? I've referenced yeah.
0: this so many times. Yeah. yeah. And you're the first person who showed me
2: it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so he's talking about connecting these dots as you get older, that you can connect the things that happen in your life. And for me, a huge dot, and I'm sure that you guys both have people like this in your life, too, is Pete Foley, who was the longtime athletic director at Weston High School. He hired me for no explicable reason um, to be the boys' varsity basketball coach at Weston High School. And I was like 22 and a half years old, didn't have a lot of experience. And he took a huge shot at me um, and a huge risk with me. And uh, one of the things he talked about that talks about this journey piece, Brendan, is he used to talk about something called the to me principle of great coaching and leadership, which is is the fact that uh, you had to you've got this power as a coach. I can at practice at any moment, raise my voice and scream to me and my team will stop whatever they're doing and they will run to me because I asked them to looking to be led. Um, And that is a responsibility that needs to be taken so seriously. And if I cannot uh, help my team see the kids that I lead, see where we're going, you simply can't lead. Like you, you have to have the ability to paint a picture for kids so they understand why they're on the journey with you. And, and I've been blessed. I've gotten to talk about coaching and leadership at businesses, with athletic programs, with athletic departments, with different coaching groups. And, and I think that's true in anything. If if you are not able to connect everybody to a common purpose with a common vision, being a leader is really really hard, and I think what I saw in Colin, uh, you know, Brandon gives you a lot of credit for this when he talks about what you guys have built in more than different. First of all, I don't know many brothers that speak about their older brother as kindly as he does. So <laughs> you guys are doing something right, but you know what you guys have done in rooting yourself in mission and core principles. It it allows you to f- take every decision you're making and put it through the funnel of that mission and those core principles. And that's what that to me principle is about. If you cannot lay out for people that you're leading where you're taking them, yeah, people don't blindly follow, you know. And and you you have to be able to see where you're going, and the leader has to be able to help you see it. Um, and and that's something that Pete Foley, who was a legendary swim coach at Weston High School uh, for decades and decades, in the National Hall of Fame, I think, for swimming and and he taught me that lesson it's the journey is a hell of a journey and if you don't know where the hell you're going um it's hard to it's hard to buy in
1: yeah yeah no it's it's good point you raise and it's funny now that i'm done with school and sports and i'm starting to see how all this translate translates into the industry right Mm -hmm. working at kind of a software startup right? There's a huge importance on setting core values and mission statements and kind of every week in all hands meetings, revisiting these core values and making sure everyone's getting a chance to shout out a coworker. And yeah. because they, you know, were aligned in the core value of we are a team, this is what they did to help push the needle on, you know, being able to prove our scalability to, to prove that Um, You know, we're a very valuable company to, you know, future investors and also in basketball, like, you know, back when I was at WPI, the first practice of the year, you know, even when the tryouts are still going and, you know, there's a real gray area between tryouts and the first practice of, of the year. But, right, we'd sit down and we would map out, right, what is this team, like, what are the goals this year? What does this team want to accomplish? And after that day, like, it was never like, we never sat down and talked about our progress until, right, maybe shit hit the fan and we needed to take a step back and say, hey, let's get a reminder here. This is what we're trying to get to. Are we, you know, are we holding ourselves accountable? But, Right. You know, when I was at WPI, um, and I think at more than different in general, like, I think core values and having a strong mission shape statement is powerful because, you know, we've been through it you know, subconsciously and, you know, just in sports in general. And I think it's important that, right. You don't want to follow someone blind down a path where you have no idea where the end goal is. Yeah. Right. You want to have an end goal in mind and then follow the process, right? Like the idea of being a stone cutter, right. You know, you know what you're trying to create, you know what you're trying to sculpt, but then once you know what that angle is like, then you just need to put your head down and just chip away. Mm -hmm. Um, And it becomes even more powerful when you're, when you're in a team setting.
0: Um,
1: And, you know, with that being said, I kind of want to take a step back and say, right. In your time, right. Growing up in your family environment and being in a household with a lot of siblings where it's like constant competition and, you know, a lot of different personalities, um, and and obviously Brennan, my sister and I, obviously we've had our fair share of fights too, but um, yeah, I wouldn't want to fight,
2: man. I mean, I, you guys seem you guys seem mildly intimidating. Maeve is fierce. I, I oh man, I, I wouldn't want to mess with Maeve. No, she is, no, she is no, yeah,
1: no, yeah. She she was she she was a bully. She was a bully back <laughs> in that day. So yeah, yeah. Um, but but you know, on on that note, um, you know transitioning from from there obviously i think sports and, and coaching and just leadership in general i think it's important to be able to really balance different personalities you're going to have a lot of diversity with a team right mm-hmm. and formulating and meshing a successful team is you know one of the hardest things to do and that's why a lot of companies fail that's why a lot of teams fail right um you know they might have a lot of talent but they can't pinpoint exactly how to use people in the right way how people work together and mesh Um, it's kind of how the world goes around so i guess i want to ask you what are the biggest challenges you face um in trying to balance different personalities and trying to manage teams with a lot of different people from a lot of different viewpoints and at the same time what's the most gratifying uh part in you know exciting part in you know
2: putting a team together yeah um, I'll say this, you know, there are a couple of pieces that have sort of <clears throat> remained the same over the course of my career. And then a couple of people, a couple of pieces that are different. Um, you know, for me, like one of my favorite and, and Brendan, you might know this guy, but when I was coaching at Weston, um, I had this unbelievable backcourt. It was this kid named Domingo Williams, who was from the city and this kid named Evan Carlson, who Brendan, you might've met through some Middlesex magic. He coaches some of the yeah, younger yeah, teams. Yeah. yeah. I do know. And, yep. And Domingo and Evan, I, I got there when they were both so- sophomores. We had this unbelievable sophomore class. And man, on a day-to-day basis, you thought it was as likely that they'd enjoy playing together as they would punch each other in the face and try and knock each other out. And they had this really hot and cold relationship. And, and I, I remember that we just kept committing to being committed to each other, a mindset sort of like growing up, in our family. You're not always going to like each other, but you're always going to love each other. When the shit hits the fan, you're going to have each other's back. You're going to be there for one another. That's what family's all about. We use it as an acronym in our program and have for a long time, not, I did not create this, but a lot of people turn family into forget about me. I love you. I think that's really important in teams that you are, you understand that I have to get over myself and, and really care for the people who are around me. And I'll never forget this moment. We, we won a state championship at the Worcester Centrum. The the, the drive behind it from Weston where, where I was coaching was incredible. Um, and there's this scene on the videotape, which I have now converted into something that I can actually watch on my computer. But there's this scene when the when the game ends, two guys are running for each other. And it's Evan and Domingo. And they end up having this massive embrace in the middle of the court. And, and I remember I I watched it after the fact, and I had not seen it at the time because I was sort of, you know, celebrating with our coaching staff. And I remember when I watched it back afterwards, it just made me cry because I was like, this is what it's all about. It's those breaking down those barriers. Evan was a Weston kid. Domingo was a city kid who was in the Metco program. Couldn't have been from more different backgrounds. And yet, of the power of basketball they were able to find this love and this brotherhood and now i watch them on facebook i watch them on social media and all those guys are still connected in each other's lives still with each other i think the challenge has begun has become Colin, and and it's a challenge that i think is you know it's a good problem to have but it's a tough problem to battle is that um, one of the reasons i believe more than ever in the importance of playing high school sports is that everything our players do when they're not playing at Nobles is about their track. You know, it's all about it's not about yeah. I think there are some AU programs that do a really good job of making you care about the name that's on the front of the jersey. But the reality is that when you're on that circuit you're getting great lessons from great coaches. There are some great coaches, there are some not great AU coaches. Oh yeah. But but it's all about where I'm heading, not about where we're heading. It's about yeah. where I'm heading, and so you know we're lucky to have a lot of talent in our program. And the reality is, there is a lot on the line for a lot of the kids that are in my program, on my team, and and yet um, finding a way to get them to play unselfishly, to get them to care about making their teammates look better on the court than they may look themselves, um, is a challenge that. I, I just, I really enjoy that challenge. I love having the opportunity to show the kids the beauty and the power of team sports because so much of what is team sports now is is no longer about the team. Um, and I'm asked a lot, we compete against a lot of kids who when they're out there on the floor, they have a bad attitude. Um, they're not connected to their teammates. They're clearly thinking about themselves first. A lot of people say, "Oh, Alex, you'd probably hate to coach those kids." I'd love to coach those kids. Like I would love the opportunity to have them in our program and show them the power of what so many kids over the course of decades now have committed to. Because I think for them, for me, it's it's life changing. But I, I but I think that's the big piece. And when you talk about uh, core principles, Colin, like for us and Brendan's seen, I have a huge sign outside my door. The core principles in our program are love, serve, care. And we say to our kids all the time, if you are not putting the love of one another first, if you're not in service to one another as a servant member of this team to do everything you can to serve the people that you're with, and if every decision you make is not out of care for your teammates, your sisters, your family that you're a part of in this season, you're out of line with our program. So I have conversations with kids where they come in and they're really focused on themselves. And I say, what about, forget about me, I love you. If you're sitting on the bench and we're in a heated game and all you're thinking about is the fact that you are not playing, you're not buying into what we're all about. you know. And, yeah. and I think that starts to, that mindset of recognizing when you're solely focused on yourself, thinking about it and reflecting on it and then trying to do everything you can to truly put others before yourself um, ends up bringing out something in people that I think is really beautiful. I've seen it with boys and with girls. It's not gender specific by any means, um, and I think is really powerful. And so it has changed a little bit because the rat race of college recruitment and the process and the timeline and how competitive it is to get in those spots, you know I'll, I'll give you an example one of the most historic teams in our program was the 2014 team that was the first one that i was lucky enough to win a new england championship with <clears throat> that was a team made up of a couple d1 kids a couple d3 kids and a bunch of kids who are just really good athletes the level of play now 10 <laughs> 10 years later is if you don't have you know four to six division one kids on your team you're gonna have a hard time having a winning season never yeah. mind winning a championship. Um, you know, all of it has just taken off in a way that's amazing for girls um, and, and mirrors a lot of what happened on the boys' side. But but that's the part that I love. It's the part of getting those kids from disparate backgrounds to connect in a really special way and to build each other up. Brendan knows we have a really lame but powerful tradition in our program, which is the night before every game, they do this crazy dance where they turn off all the lights in the gym Um, and they dance to this celtic song that's called um you raise me up and they do these crazy dance moves with partners that they sort of choreograph during the course of the season um but the refrain of the song is you raise me up to more than i can be and i think that's why our team wins because we've got a team full of kids that wants to help each other be the very best version of themselves um and there aren't a lot of pockets of society where that's the focus right now. Um, yeah. And so when you can create those little pockets, it feels pretty special to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. those are, I feel like you alluded to a lot of our, the, the piece of, we say, appreciate, celebrate, elevate. And I've mentioned this on, my, on our last podcast, actually with had Mike Locknain, who's a player. And when I was part of the Middlesex Magic, you mentioned the whole AAU track is what made our team so good is, is Coach Crotty preached wanting success for your teammates more than yourself. Yeah. And, you know, our one of our core values is celebrating, celebrating the success of others and the journey of others. And they'll naturally celebrate it in, in you and, and elevating who you are, trying to be the best version of yourself and trying to bring that out of others as well, um, bringing it back to the team. That's what ultimately maximizes a team, a program, and, and yourself yeah. as well, that you're only as good as people you're around day to day and what you bring to the table. So those are definitely key parts of what we yeah, try Brendan, to do. And...
2: certain, so, you know, I, I was lucky enough to know uh, Coach Crotty's dad and, and the fact that that's what's been passed down to Mike Jr. is not a surprise at all, right? And and I was so lucky when I was a young coach to be able to to know and and admire uh, your Coach Crotty's dad, and to see what Coach Crotty has now um, has now kept going, um, you know, as we as he moves forward is is really powerful. But we do another thing. We say when we're talking to kids in our admissions process who are interested in Nobles. I say to them that part of the reason you want to come here is because you're going to be part of a deep roster where every day you're going to face great competition. But you've got to understand that we use the the phrase, one teammate's success is not another another teammate's failure. It's their success, and it needs to be celebrated. We say to kids all the time, we want kids in our program who – you know day one Colin kicks your ass and as you're walking out of the gym you're like Colin thanks but that, that I got better today and tomorrow I'm coming for you. I'm, I'm coming back to practice tomorrow to return exactly. the exactly and and that type of mentality makes you know what Anson Dorrance at UNC used to call the competitive cauldron like you get to practice every day to compete, you know, not to not to just hold on comfortably to your spot in the starting lineup or your spot in the rotation you show up to get better. And and a lot of high school programs, a lot of AU programs don't have that mindset. Um, and, I, and I think it's something that has helped us a lot, continue that success and continue that intensity of practice every day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think just in general,
2: right, kind of to touch back on mindset,
1: like kind of naturally, we all have just humans in general have a tendency just to be selfish, right? The first things first is all right. What's best for me? How can I better myself, my situation? But, and I'm gonna like paraphrase a quote from Inky Johnson that I heard a long time ago, and I I texted to Brennan a long time ago. It's really pertinent now in this conversation, but kind of basically what he said is, you know, naturally people are selfish, but the moment that their mindset mindset transitions from me to we like and and they actually have a purpose and a mission that is greater than themselves right he describes it as then at that point that person becomes literally dangerous right because the limits of how what they can achieve and what they can reach uh is monumental because their purpose is a lot deeper and a lot greater than themselves so they have a lot more drive mission motivation because they're doing it for others rather than themselves and i think it's it holds very true in the sports world. And and I think that carries over and translate uh, into the rest of the, of the world and life in general.
2: Uh, one and, thing I wanted to transition I, into. I, I can't imagine Colin, cause I've heard Brendan tell the story. If either one of you had just started more than different by yourself, my gut says that it would have been dead like three years ago, right? Mm-hmm. If you were not doing it with each other, you know, I've heard Brendan tell the story of, there are times you might be less focused. He might be less focused, but the other person keeps it going and makes sure it's not rudderless. Yeah. Doing stuff together is a lot more powerful than doing yeah. stuff by yourself. It um, is. You know, without a doubt. Oh, but but, Kyle, we're going to ask a question. I'm sorry I cut you off.
1: Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you're not wrong though. Like, you know, if if I didn't have Brendan, then, you know, I think one different would have died down a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he he's, he, you know, talk about like needing accountability and the power in a team, like it's, you know, there's only so much you can hold yourself accountable for and you're going to slip and uh, you know, I guess I'll, I'll give Brennan his flower since he gives me so many. I, I feel flowers, like I have know, to say normally. it back.
0: I feel like I have to say no, it No, no, no. You if don't Colin, say it back. I mean. I didn't have Colin, I don't think more than different. With yeah, Stevie yeah, yeah. There it. we
1: go. Now, now you don't mean it. We get it. No, no, I mean it. I just
0: wanted to make sure I'm on record um, saying it back. Yeah. Yeah, okay,
1: yeah, it wasn't genuine. It's all right. Um, but, you know, what I wanted to kind of talk about is, and I think, you know, it's a pretty good timing kind of after March Madness and everything is to just discuss the state of women's women's sports and women's basketball in general and that I guess I'll put my kind of two cents into it uh, and we spoke kind of before this on um, you know just the state of basketball in general and in collegiate sports with you know respect to you know how people recruiting more through the transfer portal now than they are just recruiting freshmen. but in general, um, you know, we saw, kind of like record numbers and viewerships just in the final four for women's sports and now, right? They're, they're matching, if not more viewers in women's final four yep. than there are in the men's, which I think is monumental. And um, I think there's been a strong trajectory in the growth in women's sports in general. But, um, you know, since you've been embedded in it for such a long time and seen the growth uh, in popularity, uh, I, I just want to kind of ask what your two cents are in you know with respect to kind of the trajectory of, of women's sports and, and what that looks like.
2: My um, you know, my feeling is I mean, it's it's been unbelievable to see how it's grown. You know, there's still there still needs to continue to be the trickle down effect when it comes to sort of uh fan support, I I think. And certainly in something like the Final Four that's as concentrated as it is, you see great crowds. But you know, at Noble's we still and at, I think at most schools, we still struggle with the um, you know, we can have a good boys basketball team that can pack the house. We can have a great girls basketball team that, you know, struggles to fill half the gym. Um, yeah. and, and I think over time, because of the trickle down, hopefully over time is, you know, I, I can't tell you how many more people seem engaged in the women's tournament this year than in the men's tournament. Uh, and, and I think that type of thing will trickle down and hopefully continue to, impact high school and youth levels in a positive way um you know i i think the power of title 9 some 50 years after what that bill has accomplished is just incredible um and nothing is perfect the bill is not perfect the ramifications of the bill are not perfect yeah. but in total um what is it what it has accomplished for young women um is pretty remarkable I, i'm lucky my oldest daughter um went to nobles a really good athlete at nobles has been a lacrosse player at umass amherst this is her fifth year there getting her master's now and just being able to see the way even in the course of her life uh that it shifts everything becomes more personal to you when you have a daughter to be honest and and so you start watching things a little bit more closely and the stuff that maybe is a you know a privileged white male that with her i had not noticed because i'm a guy all of a sudden, when you're thinking as a father and you're thinking through the eyes of your daughter, there are things that you want to speed up the acceleration of. But there's no doubt, um, there's no doubt that there is. We're making progress in all the right directions. You know, my here's my only concern. <laughs> my only concern is I think part of why people did not follow the men's tournament in the same way they have before is because you have no idea who's on anybody's team. right i mean there's so many people there's so many people transferring that you know so you've either got one and dones or you've got everybody that's transferring and and so there's no identity really to any of you know it feels to me at least to any of the teams you you don't know who the players are um you don't know what schools they play for and so yeah it's awesome to watch great basketball there's no doubt during march madness but I think this is why the Caitlin Clark piece really took off and the Angel Reese piece really took off because people knew those names. They knew those players when, you know, hopefully UConn will be at full strength next year. Who's going to miss Paige play next year. Right. Yeah. And eight and Caroline, and you know, all the different kids that are in that program, you know, that's, that's what made college basketball so special was this opportunity to watch, uh, you know, Christian Leighton or Grant Hill, or uh, you know, I just proved that I'm a Duke guy, which I'm sure will <laughs> piss a lot of people off. But or you, know, uh, you know, but even like you knew Kevin Durant, and and yeah, he was yeah. going to be done or whatever he was, but he was this presence on a team. And right now, because of the G League expansion and everything, it, you just you don't know the players, um, and yeah. you know, and I think that's that's a tough thing that with the transfer portal. I get what it was trying to accomplish, but it is playing into a societal ill of people not working through stuff when it's hard. Yeah, I agree, I agree. agree And that's you know I've got it on my door, but Carol Lawson has a great quote. Who was the Duke? Co- Who's the Duke coach? Yeah. About everybody says you know you've probably seen the quote, but it's everybody waits for it to get easy. It's not going to get easy. It remains hard. You just get better at dealing with it. Um, yeah. And I think too often people are, people are leaving too quickly. And I, and I even think it's things like the beauty of March madness is about the mid majors being able to make these runs. Well, now if you're a mid-major coach and you have a good team, enjoy your run, because as soon as the run's over, they're all gone Yeah, and, and if the runs good enough, you're gone too. Um, because you're going to go find, you're going to go find a better job than the one that you just had, um, And so I I get the business side of it. Um, You know, I, 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 but I do worry there over 50. I said this before we got on the call. There are over 1500 women in the transfer portal right now in women's college basketball. There are only 300 some odd teams. So you do the math. I mean, that's a massive, uh, that's a massive leave from their current programs into the portal. And, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing how that's a good thing. Um, they say the game is strong and I think people have started to see the beauty of the game despite the fact that it doesn't have dunking uh, which is really like one of the only major differences and I do think the women play a really beautiful game Um, and and purists who love the ball being shared and an execution game that's not just built on athleticism um, I, I think they really like what they see in the women's game and because of disinterest with the men it's turned a lot of fans to women's basketball and i think it's good for the game you know without a doubt
0: i agree and i think that's the problem is that people you you got to separate the two like they they are a different brand of basketball and there are different elements in men's basketball that there are from women's and there's nothing wrong it's like it's like men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse they're two different sports quite right. frankly and you just got to appreciate them for what they are. There's so much talent and skill in, in women's basketball, just like there is in men's it's just showcased in a different way. And, and I think once people grow to appreciate it for what it is, rather than doing the compare game, then, then it's going to continue to ascend. But the more you compare, it's like, it's unfair to these women. And And I think I'm so glad that the tournament was such a hit this year because he got to see on full display just how talented and skilled and exciting it is to watch women's sports. And I, just like you said, having a, having a daughter gives you a different perspective. Like I feel the same way in having a sister, like ever since I went to all her games growing up and and she was a two sport college athlete, two-time Natty champ. Anytime I mention her, I always got to put some respect there. Um, and so anytime I would hear people talking about women's sports or talking down or stereotyping, like I always felt some type of way. Cause I'm like, I know who my sister is. I know how talented and how much work she puts into this. And yet she's yeah. not getting the respect and appreciation she deserves. So I, uh, having a sister, I can say, I feel the same kind of fervor for women's sports.
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny, uh, Brennan, Colin is I get asked a lot, because I was lucky enough to I've been lucky enough to coach both boys and girls. And even while I was coaching the girls' basketball team here for a bunch of years, I was a boy varsity baseball coach here before I became the AD and had to drop one. I get asked a lot about the differences between coaching boys and girls. And and you know it's funny, they're a lot more alike than they are different, uh, to be honest. The one thing that I'll say that I give the girls a lot of credit for, and I see our best teams on the boys side understand is that when I first got the girls job here, I asked a lot of people for, you know, advice about coaching girls. And I got the same thing that I think a lot of men who are getting lucky enough to coach women here or girls here, which is that you just can't yell at them the same way you can yell at boys. You know, you can't single out a girl, they can't handle it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and what I came to learn pretty quickly is it's not that you can't yell at an individual girl. It's that you don't have to. And that's a big difference um, in the way that you phrase it. So what I mean by that is when I would look at a, a team full of boys and say, um, guys, we're not getting it done. And if we don't figure our shit out and get back on path, we're not going to be successful. I would see boys who I was leading all the time, nodding their hands, yes, but what they're saying in their head is, Brendan's saying, coach is totally right, but I can't do what I need to do because Colin's not pulling his weight. And Colin is saying, coach is totally right, but I can't do what I need to do because Timmy's not doing his job. You make a collective statement like that to girls. Every girl is like, he is speaking directly to me. (laughs) It's my fault. And we're failing because of me. And I have got to get myself back on track. It's like you almost have to be careful because if you get too specific with kids, they take it to a point where it's almost detrimental to them. Yeah. What I The reason I point that out is a lot of people think girls aren't tough enough to take it. The truth is they are so hard on themselves and therefore so tough and so determined to be there for their teammates and to not let them down. They don't point fingers. They only point the finger at themselves. And so it's not that you can't yell at an individual girl. It is truly that you do not have to. And that when you try and make those collective statements to groups of girls, they all get the lesson, both as a team and individually. Boys do not. Um, That's at least my experience. Now, great boys teams who really form a brotherhood, I think, follow that model. But too many boys teams lose sight of it. There's too much finger pointing. And there are moments on girls teams, certainly, where there's finger pointing. But if you go head on at it and make it about the sisterhood and make it about the love, they feel terrible about the fact that they pointed a finger and the behavior changes, you know, and and that's the beauty of coaching girls that I think the more boys pay attention to those lessons about what being a part of that team is about, um, the better they are as teammates and as and as individuals and as leaders, you know.
0: Yeah. It sounds just like our sister, all those things. I remember being around and she's so hard on herself after every little thing. And that's what made her such a great athlete, but yeah, it's definitely, it seems like that from your experience being around that so much, you notice that's a, that's a pattern. So she's not an anomaly in
2: that regard. I know you, t- I know you two are the question askers, but I- I'd love to throw one in your direction. Um, you know, one of the there are two things that I that I really think are so critical to good leadership, and they are authenticity and self-awareness. You know, Colin, you talked about the all-team meeting that you'll have in your small company right now, and you know as well as I do, if the if the leader gets up there and starts talking about core principles that they are not living out, um, it's impossible for them to lead, right? Um yeah. and and I'm I'm curious for the two of you, like. So many leaders get chewed up by their blind spots. And you two have put yourselves out there in the podcast, in the blog posts, in the business that you've built, on the social media that you've done. What work have you two done to understand and own your own shortcomings, right? And to build a model that's really authentic to the two of you? Because most young men are not able to put themselves out there like this in the way that you two are. And I would love to know from the two of you, how did you how have you gained that self, sense of self-awareness? How are you still working on it? Um, you've built a brand that's built on authenticity. And so, you know, people ask me all the time I, when I coached my daughter in basketball for four years, it was the first time I'd ever coached her. And they asked me what my hope was. And I said, my only hope is that she doesn't think I'm full of shit. That was my only <laughs> that was my only hope. Like I I really wanted her to see that the man she had been raised by is the same man that leads the basketball program. So how have you two gotten there? What, what has it been in your lives that's allowed you to get to this place where you have a good enough understanding about yourself and a good enough self-awareness to be able to lead in a really authentic way.
0: Colin, you go ahead. I'm I'm interested in this answer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: that's, that's, that's an unbelievable question. So, um, yeah, I guess to break it down, right, And in, in general, kind of how we started more than different was, you know, the ideology that, you know, we wanted to help kind of change the way people thought, you know, change the way just the world thinks about people, themselves, um, and kind of just change, you know, lifestyles as, as they are, in a sense, like, um, you know, being able to appreciate and embrace yourself and understand that, you know, there are different levels that you can reach um you know as long as you dig deep and embrace your differences as they are even if you're you know around a crowd that you know isn't necessarily you know carry the same interests and values as you do um so with respect to like you know kind of how i'm you know holding myself accountable to be authentic and and not kind of sell sell a product that you know i essentially you know that i may not believe obviously um, I think, I think the podcasts in themselves, like when Brendan and I had our 10, you know, we had like 10 episodes of talking about kind of the pillars essentially of, of like a more than different lifestyle per se. Um, And I think that really, you know, it, it helped spark conversation about, Hey, these are things that we've thought about that we've applied in our lives. And it only helped raise more, I wouldn't say flaws, but areas of improvement that mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you know, there's i there's a saying that, right. You don't know what you don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. So it starts to, you know, raise things where like, Hey, I'm realizing that, you know, I'm being on my phone way too much. We had a podcast about screen time and how that impacts just, you know, productivity and, uh, and success in general. Right. And then, then, then we have accountability podcast. Then we have, um, you know, habits, right. Habits is a big thing for me. I think I value a lot in, You know, I think it's, I'm realizing that we're, I'm not, we're not trying to portray, right. We're not trying to tell people what to do. We're trying to have a conversation about, you know, what I think, you know, is a successful lifestyle and and habits. And I think we're trying, I'm trying to portray that I'm growing and Brent and I are growing along with the people. So uh, being able to have active conversations about experiences, um, you know, is that has definitely been powerful in the sense of, you know, kind of being able to grow with the crowd, you know, as we kind of get growing interest with the brand. Um, you know, so I guess that's kind of the two cents of of that.
0: I I think some of the best advice I received, although it's so, it's a succinct message, but when I worked for, uh, one mighty mill this summer, John Olinto, who, you know, well, Mm -hmm. Mr. Gallagher obviously and Colin knows too, is he said, you need to be your mission. And I think in being a leader of the brand and being who I am, embracing my authenticity and being ambitious about my life, I know that what we stand for, what our values are with more than different, that's something that I live and I embrace and I take serious. Like it really matters to me. And I think you said it, you put ourselves out there. It is a little uncomfortable. Certainly for me, sometimes like you're, you're putting out blogs. I write a lot of blogs. I'm putting them out there and, and naturally you have people who you hope are inspired by them and, and relate to them. But you also have people who just keep scrolling. And mm-hmm. I think I, I'm confident and secure in who I am. And I know that what our brand stands on is, is what I try to live by. That gives me the, the peace and knowing that what we're doing here is real it's authentic and it is a paradigm for for how I'm trying to live my life so i i think it it hopefully benefits others but i know it benefits myself and to me that's what what guides me and i think in terms of being on teams and and everything else allows me to hopefully be a good leader be a good role model yeah
1: well i i and, and let me chime in real quick and i think what what Brent and i began to understand when you know and obviously it's you know pretty pertinent now with some of the merchandise we have is right the brand was to kind of reveal like revealing your authentic self right and being able to embrace yourself and and have this dangerous enough mindset to have your purpose be more than just having, reaching your self goals and being able to have a purpose that's greater than yourself, right? And, you know, I think we got to the point where it was, you know, we don't need to chase perfection in this brand, right? It's not a brand about trying to be perfect. And, you know, we'll obviously end up coming out with kind of a line of merchandise saying authentic, not perfect, right? And it's trying to live the life of, you know, being able to talk through certain things about, you know, a lifestyle that we aren't perfect in, but, you know, just telling people, Hey, we're growing with you. And, you know, we're always trying to strive to be, you know, a better version of ourselves to, you know, end up helping ourselves and others along the way. Um, you know, so understanding, accepting the fact that we're not perfect. And then, you know, at that point, kind of trying to relate to others and say, Hey, we're growing as well. And we're trying to, you know reach our potential to obviously kind of you know make the most out of out of things that we have
2: yeah and, and i think that that piece i think there's such a striving now in the way that you know i was watching um i read an article recently about um what what's the uh, i'm i'm totally blank on the name cuz i don't use it but what's the social media where it catches you and it's like at some moment of the day you just have to take a shot of exactly be
0: where real you be real yeah, yeah.
2: I read this article recently about these teenagers who be real was like destroying them because essentially they were waking up in the morning setting a perfect scene and just waiting oh, all day okay. <laughs> for their for their be real moment and and you know that's the the sort of what worries me so much for for young people today is this um this create this creation of a narrative that is not real, Um, you know, the amount of people I know who post stuff on social media that I know is not true, Yeah, you know, about how happy they are, how successful they are, how perfect they are, um, to me is heartbreaking, you know, because it's, I know that it's all, it's it's all orchestrated. Um, And, and that's not the way that life is, you know, I mean, it's just not, I'm not trying to be some like old man, you know, uh, sort of finger wag moments, but it's um, in an era where people really struggle with not being successful at times, um, and always looking for fingers to point as to why they were not successful. I, I look at stuff like that, and I say, this creation of a life that's not authentic to who you are because you think it's what everybody thinks your life should be, um, really makes me nervous. <laughs> you know, what I mean, yeah. makes me nervous for my own children. Uh, makes me nervous for the kids that I work with um you know I think it's a hard world right now to just love yourself for being yourself um and and that that's tough you know that's always been hard it's not like that's a new thing but man now now it's even it's even harder um and and to me that makes me sad you know I mean yeah. it makes me sad for kids you know
0: it's hard yeah no yeah. I think you got to embrace your authenticity I think the our, our greatest superpower is just being who we are. And, and yeah. then even though it seems so simple, uh, it it's
1: always enough. It is. Yeah, it should be
0: enough, but it, it's like you said, it's become so hard. And, and I yeah. think it is a decision we all can make individually and um, it takes yeah, courage, it, but, but it, it certainly frees you and allows you to just be who you are, be authentic and not overthink things. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, the idea of the idea of to be rather than to seem to be, right, and, and, and kind of embracing that aspect, right. It, at that point, then you're you're kind of fighting a shadow of yourself of you know what you want people to yeah. envision you as, and that's kind of what you know this picture of what you seem to be rather than kind of showing your authentic version of yourself, which is always enough, like we say. We kind of we have a tag on one of our sweatshirts that kind of summarizes that you know everybody has a superpower right everybody is their own superpower and you just need to you know find a way essentially to uh, unleash that and and embrace what that superpower is in yourself um,
2: yeah and I, and I think you know in the coaching vernacular i mean Belichick's famous for the do your job piece but like one thing that i really try and instill in our kids is that we're not going into any game where i need people to be hercules um just like we say to our team all the time, all you have to do today is be you. And if you just go out there and you're yourself, we will be just fine. <laughs> and it tends to be when kids try to play it a way that is not themselves, yeah. that you get to see that you start seeing kids make mistake after mistake because they're trying to be something that they think the people in the fan, in the stands want to see or the college coach wants to see or the parent or guardian wants to see or the AU coach wants to see. All I want to see out there is kids be themselves. Um, and I think that's something that really good coaches are able to bring out in kids. You don't have to go above and beyond. You just have to be you. You is enough, um, you know, without a doubt. And and more kids need that message nowadays. There's no there's no question about that.
0: Yeah, I know we're, uh we've been going for a while. And so we'll, I have one final question. I feel like we could go two more hours if we had to, but. Uh, I know you're a family man. You might need to get home for the big family uh, dinner. I,
2: I love, I love <laughs> being with being you two guys. It's fun.
0: Um, but you've, you've been at Nobles for so long. You've been in the coaching world for so long. You've been around people and, and I can speak from experience. You're someone who people are inspired by motivated by and admire. Cause those are all things I've felt from being around you every day in the classroom and I've talked to many of your former players that so that's analogous to to you as a, as a coach. So what do you want your legacy to be? And I know you're not interested in talking about yourself, um, but like we said, when you're, your journey, you're going toward a destination and who you want to become, you're always becoming, but eventually you become um, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to to know you for?
2: That's a, that's a really good question, Brendan. I, you know, and it's funny, uh, it's at an interesting time of life. You know, I just a couple of weeks ago turned 51 years old and I, I do think I've sort of crested that age. If you guys talk to your parents or other people our age where, you know, I, I'm not somebody who's ever really thought very much about, about legacy, but, um, but you start to get to a certain age where you start to think you start to think about things like that, you know. And um, and, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a complicated thing. You guys have touched on a lot of the things today. I, I'm super humbled, uh, Brennan, that you or or anybody else uh, would use the word admiration in in my direction. Um, it really means a lot to me, and I, and I really am very humbled by it. And and I know the people closest to me know this, that when I make mistakes, I'm very hard on myself because I do know that I think people listen and I think the and I think they watch me to see the decisions I make and how I carry myself. And the cynical side of me will say there are a lot of people out there who like to see me screw up, which I think there are some people who do. But I think most of the people um, out there, you know, root for people that try to do the right thing and try to be good people. Um you know, and so i'm I'm really humbled by all of that. Uh, it means a lot to me. I'm I really am a very humble guy, and I've just, you know, I've tried to work really hard and um, and and be a good person and be loyal to the people that I care about and love and and work with. I guess, you know, there's I think you've heard me reference this in class, Brendan. I, I think um there was an article, and I'm sure you guys have pieces like this in your life that that really, centered my mind on how I wanted to live my life it's this great article by David Brooks from the New York Times in which he talks about um, resume virtues versus eulogy virtues and how he really believes that in this day and age more and more people are focused on resume virtues and not eulogy virtues and that really makes him very nervous about the future and I, I really hope I, if I, you know, if I leave a legacy with folks that it's that I was able to teach the resume virtues to put people in good position for the things they want to do accomplish in life, but that I was much more focused on the eulogy virtues um, and that, you know, I, I know, I have People in my life who taught at Noble and Greenhouse School, I, you know, Brendan, I know that one of your biggest mentors is Mr. Baker, who I think you've had on this podcast. And, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Mr. Baker ran assembly every day that I was a student at Noble's for three years. My first student, my first year there was his first year as the head of school. And I, I just remember him echoing throughout the hall in his booming voice that your character will be judged by the decisions you make when no one is looking. And it happened to me today. I was walking down across campus for something. I was super late. Um, I went flying by and recognized that there was some trash on the ground. There was nobody as far as I could see. And I'm not lying. 15 steps in, I just hear Baker's voice in my head, you know? And I'm like, (sighs) so I stop myself. I run back. I pick up the trash. I go to find a trash barrel to throw it away. You know, and and I don't uh, by no means am I comparing myself to Baker because he is talk about larger than life. But
0: yeah, legend.
2: (laughs) But in turn, in terms of legacy, I, you know, what I hope is that the people I worked with felt what it was like to be sort of unconditionally loved and supported. Um, And I've really tried to do that with the people that I've been with. And it takes me back to the first question that you asked me, which is, That's the greatest gift I was given as a child. I I know that so many children born into this world are not given that gift of unconditional love. And I was, and, you know, I say all the time that whether it's a basketball player or somebody teaching the classroom or somebody who I get to know at Nobles or something like that, as soon as you're part of that Nobles family for me, um, you know, I'll I'll do anything. You'll do anything I can to support you and help you and promote you and, um, and help you build a life sort of worth leading. So, you know, if that's, I've watched so many great mentors of mine who have been here, who have retired, um, their voices linger in my head. I talk all the time about the echoes I hear all over this campus because the place has been such a huge part of my life. And when some kid comes up to me at reunion and says, I'll never forget what you said on stage for my junior year in 2008, I say to myself, uh, oh, maybe i'm doing a little bit of the echo leaving that so many others have done for me um you know and if i if i can do that um, and have people think i was a good husband a good dad a good brother a good son a good coach a good teacher um you know that's a pretty good life to lead um you know and so that's i think that's where i focus a lot of my energies and uh, i'll give one last example um you know one one of our players, Nazi Simmons, and I'll just say this because it's on social media. she committed to uh, Columbia a couple of weeks ago. nazi has got this incredible mom and and Faria Simmons, uh, it, you know, they they've they've battled all sorts of things coming up in their life, and there's this moment where uh, you know, Nazi Simmons from Brockton Mass makes this commitment to one of the best academic institutions in the country and her life and the life of generations that follow her will change as a result um and and to be a little part of that process for the kids that I get to work with here um you know but the best part was i didn't care where nazi went to college all i cared about was her being happy and when she found her home and found the right coach who's going to take great care of her and all that different stuff like for me you know i cried my eyes out the night that i found out that she committed you know i mean that's she like all the other kids they're family to me and um you know, i'll get emotional now talking about but uh you know just being to get to be a part of the people's life i'll say one last thing because i know we're almost out of time you know we talk about the backwards planning we do in our program i think one of the great examples of backwards planning is what we do at nobles with the faculty receiving line after graduation
0: yeah, Con- yeah that was so, that was so profound
2: They go, you know, faculty member by faculty member to say goodbye, and that line is full of tears and laughter and hugs, and and man, no matter how hard a year we have here, (laughs) we get through that line, and I'm walking home to my house on campus, and I'm like, you know, they're going to have to roll me off this campus someday, because I just love that work. I love that work and it's special. And at Nobles, we plan everything backwards from that moment. We want every kid to have their moments in that line. And I think we accomplish that goal with most of our kids. I won't say all, um, but man, it, you know, even on days with sort are of bad days here for work, uh, I feel, you know, I'm the, I'm the most blessed guy in the world, you know, and And even the fact that I get to keep teaching, like Brendan and I would not, you and I would not have gotten to spend great time together if I had done what most ADs now, which is to not teach. Um, You and I never really would have crossed paths. And so that's why, despite the craziness of my schedule, you can't get me out of the classroom. I love the time in the classroom. I love going to Rwanda with kids because the relationships i build with those kids on those trips, um, you know, I just, I love this place so much and the opportunities it's given me and if it's if my being here has helped any kid on their path to life well led you know outside of my family stuff which is really really important to me
0: yeah you're making me miss you're making me miss nobles quite a bit it's all uh it's a special place and and you're one of the the many reasons why it, it is such a special place so all the credit to you and everything you've done and your legacy will I'd absolutely be left um all right let's get into a couple quick hitters that we always ask and we'll just fire them off um best habits and worst habits
2: oh my god uh my worst habit by far is my addiction to diet coke by <laughs> far I, I don't i don't i don't do i don't drink i've never done drugs anything And my Diet Coke addiction is an example of why, because I would be addicted to those things, because I think I have a pretty addictive personality. But that's my my worst habit is definitely my addiction to Diet Coke. And I would say if you're on the on the meta level that you guys talk about, oftentimes I really battle a pretty negative voice in my head that I think is a lifelong battle for me. That is a tough habit. I'm really hard on myself internally. And figuring out how to do better with that has been a lifelong journey. So those are the two bad habits. One, practical practical and tangible. The other one, more meta. Uh, my best habit is, um, uh, you know, I would say I'm addicted to saying, love you, please, and thank you. You know, and, and I think the people in my, I had an uncle who always used to ask the question, who do you love and do they know that you love them? Um, I think I'm pretty good at letting the people I love know that I love them. And I really care about please and thank you. And and one that I've picked up a lot lately is changing appreciate it to appreciate you and trying to use that language with people as much as I can. Uh, that level of appreciation for a human, um, I think, is important to share. Um, and I get in the gym seven days a week. Doesn't necessarily show it, but... I, no, I see anchor.
0: it. I see it. It doesn't go unnoticed. <laughs> you're in there at those <laughs> lonely anchors. hours. You're an yeah. early if, morning guy or you're uh you're a you know, the late. The the
2: if, if the quick hitter becomes my uh my man crushes, Dwayne Johnson is definitely one of them. And he talks about he talks <laughs> about the, he talks about the gym being an anchor for him and it is for me. If I don't if I if I don't sweat every day, it really gets to me. Um so I would say that's another really good one.
0: All right, great. Uh, list a few of your favorite books.
2: Oh my goodness!
0: Just a few. Uh,
2: yeah, no, I'll give you, I'll give you a few. I think the best sports book I've ever read is Legacy, which is about the New Zealand All Blacks. I think if you're a program person, a culture person, I think what they talk about with the All Blacks and the way they lay it out, the sort of sweep the sheds mentality, is incredible. So Legacy, I think, is the best sports book I've ever read. Um, best leadership book I've ever read is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, which I think is incredible. Um, and that I think is worth the read for anybody. Um, and I'd say the other one that has been really powerful for me, I'm trying to see if I have it here someplace. Um, there's there's a book called The Obstacle is the Way. Um, it's a really powerful book. I'm blanking on the author's name right now. But uh, the obstacles, obstacles Away is a really good one. It's one where uh, I come across so many people now who see a hardship in their life and they feel like it knocks them off track. I'm somebody who graduated from Nobles, went to school, college for six months at Lafayette. And then because of things in my, um, in my family, I ended up out of school for four years. And during that time, I had a lot of darkness where as I was working to help and support my family, um, I felt like my life had been ruined. And the truth is that the you know in, in the title, Ryan Holiday is the author. Um, also wrote Ego is the Enemy, which is a great book. Also read Stillness is the Key, a great book. Um, all built in sort of political philosophers and, and ideologies that are really powerful. But his message in The Obstacle is the Way is that the obstacle is the way. <laughs> you were, this is your path. Uh, the obstacle you're facing is part of your path. It's not something that knocked you off the path. And for me, that's been a really powerful book as well.
0: Great. I've read a few of those. I haven't read a couple. So those are some uh, some good summer reads as the summer's approaching. And then last one. Oh, and think- the other.
2: One, I want to mention one other one. The Hard Hat by John Gordon, which I'm pretty sure you have read. Yeah, you gave Brennan. that to me. Yep. Um, the Hard Hat by John Gordon, which is about this great Cornell lacrosse player who died in a terrible accident on the lacrosse field when he took a shot to the chest. And it's about, I think, his 21 lessons of being a great teammate, um, I think, is a really powerful book that I read every year myself and then try and pass those lessons on to the kids that I lead. And I suggest it to every anybody who's a part of any sort of team, business, corporate, college, high school, uh, whatever, can't recommend it enough.
0: All right, great. And then last one, these should be good. Your your pet peeves as a teacher and as a coach.
2: Hmm. Uh, my pet peeve as a teacher are my biggest pet peeve is, and it's, it's such a silly one because it's so obvious, you know, you want kids to be able to take notes on their computers, but of course, every teacher can tell yeah. when the kid is not listening, <laughs> <laughs> reading something on their computer and you know it and you don't want to like, I don't want to be in a spot of playing gotcha and calling kids out and different stuff like that. And I get how distracting it is, but I also get how necessary it is for kids to be able to take notes. So I'd say that for me as a classroom teacher is the biggest one. Um, I think uh, the biggest pet peeve as a coach um, is when somebody's not being a good teammate, no doubt about it. Um, I I think that if any time a kid is not committed to the people who are around them, it really bothers me. And that ends up being the most frequent conversations that I'll have with players in my office. Uh, When I can see it, it bothers me. It makes my stomach turn a little bit because of what's so important in our program. But I'm also, and this is from Brene Brown in that book that we talked about, she talks about clear as kind, unclear as unkind. And I really, when I see it, I talk about it. Um, And I I talk about it and do everything I can to to hold the mirror up to kids when they're off path in terms of the type of teammate that they're going to be and and i would say i would say those are the biggest it also drives me crazy when kids don't clean up after themselves but i also know that's part of being kids (laughs) Uh, but i i would say that those are the biggest ones
0: well hey I'm, i'm lucky to have been a student of yours i wish i got to play for you Unfortunately, I didn't. But uh, I'm certainly lucky to know you're glad you came on the podcast. We're definitely going to have to have you back on down the line. I think there's so much definitely. more we can touch on. And like you said, really appreciate you uh, for coming on and, and just being a guest and being such a supporter uh, of both the brand and me. And now I'm glad you got to meet Colin a little bit because I've, I've raved about you to Colin, just like I rave about Colin to you. So it goes both ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> and I'll say this, I, I've loved the time with you two guys. And I said this, I think, Brendan, when you visit our class a couple of weeks ago, but um, being a leader takes a lot of courage and a lot of people don't find the courage to do it. And nothing that you guys are doing is perfect. But i do believe the things you guys are doing are making a difference and i just appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable to put yourself out there to take the risk um and i hope you inspire other young men and young women um young people uh to continue to try and take those risks because uh there's a lot there's a lot of work to do in this country there's no doubt about it and we need we're going to need a young generation of folks who help us sort of turn things in the right direction. Um, so I appreciate you two and, and everything that you're doing with this brand and everything else in your life uh, in a really powerful way. So I'm super grateful to both of you. Okay.
0: All right. Sounds I good. Appreciate that, I really Coach. appreciate you. you. It means a lot. Take right, care guys. be in Thank touch. You guys both. All, All
2: right, right. Talk to you later.